Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. After real loss, life can become less scary. It's counterintuitive, but true more often than not. When we live through something that's not supposed to happen, or we fail dramatically, it can lift us into a new life. And then before too long, we're willing to fall down all over again, even when nothing is promised to us to do it. Pursuing a dream is electric and intoxicating, but it's expectations that are the thing that's going to come back and really haunt us. Hope and ambition, or sometimes even just simply loving someone, are our Achilles heels when we set out to manifest these wishes. So how do we lose a dream and then be willing to lose another one? I'm Leslie Feist and welcome to Pleasure Studies, a storytelling project about our interior lives. Each episode holds up multiple stories to one light to get a glimpse at the common ground that's under our common struggles. My dream was to hold you on top of Black Mountain. I always imagined myself winning that gold medal. If I didn't, why work out four or five hours a day? Why battle Achilles tendonitis? Why work so hard if I couldn't see myself on the podium, the Canadian national anthem, and someone announcing me as the Olympic champion? I imagined it every single day that I was out there. When I was pursuing my dream, I felt exhilarated, excited, and intoxicated. I felt like the most electric, vibrant, creative version of myself that I had ever known. Until it all came crashing down around me. Expectation will come back to haunt you. My name is Perdita Felician. The goal was always to be the best. Well, how do you become the best? What is, what is the symbol of being the best? Well, it's an Olympic gold medal. And so I went after that. My name is Dylan Evans. My dream was to found a perfect community and live with others in complete harmony. I was uh, working at the time in robotics. This sort of gap between the kind of advanced technology that I was working on and the very simple lives of some of the people I met made me start to question what was the value of this uh, super advanced technology I was working with and was it really making people happier or not? I just became very pessimistic, I guess, about the state of the world. And so I needed to have something to believe in. Otherwise, what's the point in living? My name is Sarah Brooke Curtis. I just happened to be so deeply in love with my partner and the idea of creating life together. And one day after 14 years of 
<laughs> being together, we were like, I don't know, let's try and not not get pregnant. And then we got pregnant. The feeling is goosebumps. So think about these little pimples on your skin. Think about the adrenaline racing through your veins. Think about someone saying your name to a stadium full of 80,000 people and you raising your hand with pride, knowing that in a few seconds, bang, you're going to hear that gun and you have the opportunity to make this dream that you've had for so long actually come true. I could see a lovely community emerging from the ashes of civilization, a kind of return to a pre-industrial past where people didn't have the curse of deadlines and mobile phones and working to pay off mortgages because we grew our own food. And at the center of this happy community, there would be me. It was like, oh my God, I have this little seed inside of me now that's like eventually going to grow teeth and lungs and a heart. I think I was so enamored by it. You know, my belly blooming and like fingers inside of me, like just tickling my insides and stuff. Like I cannot believe that this is happening and I get to nurture this, this being on the inside. Like it, holy shit. When you know something is very possible for you, it makes it harder. If something is unattainable, well, it's okay. It, it was never meant for me anyway, so there's no weight or expectation or heaviness that comes with that. But there's a thirst that comes and a hunger that comes with knowing, I actually can do this. After a few weeks, people began to spread the word, and uh, eventually I received uh, several hundred applications from people from all over the world in different walks of life saying they would uh, wanted to join the experiment. And I moved up to Scotland and then gradually the volunteers started to arrive and we had to grow our own food, build our own accommodation, make our own clothes and uh, generally do everything for ourselves. I loved eating yummy things and knowing that it was nourishing her. I loved dancing and knowing that I was exposing her to good music every single moment. I was building a relationship with her every single, single moment. Leading up to Athens, I was unstoppable. I had won the world championships and also ran the fastest time that anyone had ever run at that competition. Even in Athens, the first two rounds, I was unstoppable and unbeatable. Even though you know you're unbeatable, there's not this cockiness that this is mine. You still know you're in a race with 10 obstacles. But I also knew I am capable of winning. To have the same dream as someone else is almost impossible. We all have similar dreams. Maybe we all want peace and we all want justice, etc. But we interpret those words in different ways. And uh, as soon as you have uh, two people living together, uh, you have a kind of uh, community and then you have two different views of what that community should be. I did have dreams about who she was. I didn't know technically that um, she was a girl until she was born, but I knew at six weeks. I was watching my hair and I was just like, Lilia Wild, Lilia Wild, that's her name. And that's who she is. Oh, that's so crazy. My baby inside of my belly just kicked. That's so weird. Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. You're on your blocks and you hear this bang, which is the sound of the gun. 
and every part of you has to react it doesn't matter how much you imagine it doesn't matter how much you practice it doesn't matter how much you write in your journal about this moment nothing is as real as the actual living moment so even though the community that i had was very small there were only 15 or 16 people there at any one time we all uh, had slightly different views and some people had very different views and so this vision of harmony that I had had thinking about this perfect community, very soon it met reality. I visualized the way that I would care for her, like sitting by the wood stove and feeding her and um, watching her laugh and the way we'd kind of move through the world together. Everything you think is going to happen can get totally out of control. And when the starter said bang, my body reacted exactly like I trusted it to react with everything it had. Everything it had was too much. And when I get to the first hurdle, I'm so close that my heel hits the first hurdle. And with that force and the speed that I'm moving forward with, it's like hitting a brick wall. And everything just stops. My momentum, everything, and flings me to the right. And before I know it, in less than two seconds, I have now collapsed onto the ground of the Olympic final where I was the reigning world champion and the favorite. I remember waking up very early one morning at four o'clock in the morning because we all slept in yurts, which are these old traditional Mongolian style tents. The other people in the yurt were all asleep and it was suddenly as if these icy fingers were gripping my chest or my heart and I was cold, I felt icy, I was, but I was sweating at the same time. My heart was racing. The ground had been taken away from me and I was falling, falling, falling and there was nothing to stop me falling. It's pretty much the most primal, raw combination of a scream and a deep rest. It's surreal. Your body is numb. It's unbelievable. Despite this whole moment only happening in a few seconds, uh, it was slow in my head. And the cruel cruelty of the impact was that I could see the jumbotron. So I had a full view of the race that I was just in unfolding live while I'm like a scarecrow against a fence just laying back on this hurdle which is now upside down and I see this race running and I didn't look away I watched it the entire race that I was in and all I could think of was you should have been in that race it all suddenly came sort of crashing down all around me and and I realized I suddenly it was almost like the scales fell from my eyes and I I was suddenly like what have I done? <laughs> I have just, you know, messed up my whole life. This whole experiment was really badly thought out. Everything is a disaster. And suddenly I would like lost all my confidence and all my hope in this. And this dream just turned into a nightmare. She was sick. Some trauma happened in labor and um, she had been hooked up to things and just like the opposite of the home birth that I was going for. I wound up just having three days with her. In the moments, I don't hear a thing. I can't hear anything. I'm lost in this world, this, this sea of 
everything just happening so quickly. Where do I go? Where do I look? What happens now? Where are my shoes? And the amount of tears that come down your face, you don't know that you can produce that many tears. And you taste them. It's really salty. And when they dry, you know, on your face, your face, your cheeks are rough. And the ducts of your eyes are raw. I tried to tell everyone that, uh, you know, this was a complete disaster, this experiment. It was going completely wrong. But they, by this time, they had all, in a sense, embraced my dream in their own different ways. And so it was only me who lost... (laughs) confidence in the dream everyone carried on their lives uh, happily and I just got worse and worse because I felt increasingly isolated and eventually I was uh, detained in a psychiatric hospital the day that we said goodbye to her my husband Ryan he had asked the doctors like if when they took out the breathing equipment um if they could do it outside so that if she had one breath that it could be actual, you know, fresh air. And uh, the nurse just lay her across my chest and immediately her skin turned this like blushy pink and um, it was kind of amazing. The nurse was like, do you see that? Like she might be on her way out, but she completely feels you, you know? Um, (laughs) I'd never felt so much love that moment for me will always be the one that got away it will always be the one that got away but it's okay it's okay that it got away because I don't think anything is promised to any one of us and as a 36 year old now I can say God pretty dad The gold medal was the pursuit. It was all the lessons you learned about yourself. It was understanding that if anything drops you to your knees, you can get up. And I can live with never knowing what would have happened in that race if I had cleared the first hurdle. I can live with that. Because to me, all the treasures that have come from that is knowing that I have inspired young girls who come up to me sometimes with a poster that is 10 years old (laughs) that I signed around that time. And they say, you are my favorite athlete or you're my favorite person. That to me is is my, my gold medal. Three or four weeks after I came out of hospital, I packed up what little stuff I had left into my battered old car and drove off and left them, left them there. And some of them are still there. This vision of community that I'd had was an illusion for me. Maybe some people can find their joy with other people, but all my life I've been more of a solitary person, more of an introvert. I was fighting against it. I was trying to prove, no, no, I can be sociable, I can be an extrovert. And that this attempt to create my own perfect community was my like last ditch attempt to prove to the world and to myself that I could be like a normal sociable person. Um, and it, I failed. <laughs> I failed, you know, dramatically. Blame got in the way of my love for my daughter. I 
felt waves of anger, like this is not supposed to happen. Children aren't supposed to die. This is not supposed to happen at all. What if someone did this, you know, maybe something could have been helped if this happened, or why wasn't that person watching this? I felt like it was toxifying, making my blood toxic. It turned it into something ugly, and I didn't want it to be ugly. Being at peace doesn't mean it was never disappointing, that it doesn't prick my heart when I think about it, that when I look at my collection of titles and medals, that I wish that I had that one, but I'm at peace with it. I'm at peace with it because I know what I'm capable of. And a shiny piece of hardware isn't the only symbol of being a world-class athlete or a world-class human. And I had to make peace with that because how do you go on to write another chapter, another story, if you're still pining and crying and lamenting about the last one? You can never, ever fully move on with your life. After, you know, the scales fell from my eyes, so to speak, I, that fear became really intense. I thought I'd messed up my whole life. I thought I'd be homeless. I had nothing left in the world. I'd sold my house and, and to fund the experiment. I had no money left. I, I had given up my job. I'd ruined my academic career. I was in a psychiatric hospital. I thought, well, what's left? Nothing. You know, how can I reconstruct my life after this? I was terrified. I, every day was total fear and total anxiety. And it was almost like... I used up all my fear, in, and then when it was gone, I didn't have any more fear left. I'm not scared of darkness at all. We made a promise days after we got back from the hospital that we would not close off, that we would swing wide open. It didn't make me afraid to dream. In fact, it made me want to dream more because there is something intoxicating about going after something that passionately. And I would hope that most people would have a passion and a dream that big, that they'd be willing to fall for it or put themselves on the line to go after it. I'm not afraid anymore. I'm not afraid of anything really, except getting depressed again. I mean, I'm not afraid of civilization collapsing. I'm not afraid of the end of the world. And who knows, maybe it will happen. Who maybe civilization will collapse next year. Who knows? Maybe lots of things will happen. I'm not afraid anymore. After I had Lilia, I would go just walk at the ocean and watch the sun go down and just call to her. And sometimes at late at night, I'd see a shooting star or the sunset would just get really, really pink and bright and yeah, I don't think I would ever have access to the types of experiences that I've felt and seen in nature if I hadn't been broken apart. It's it's almost it's almost unfair that I've only felt like I had access to it through such loss. If you've lost the biggest dream that you've had, you create another one. And you rebuild another dream from the ground up. And maybe it's not as shiny and new. Maybe it's not as spectacular. Maybe it's not as sexy. But you build a new one. 
and you pursue it the same way the same tenacity the same hunger the same grit that you pursued the last one that didn't go your way you take all those tools you take all that passion and you apply it to this next dream to really lose a dream and to really come to terms with that experience is something you know we all lose one dream two dreams three dreams but we we keep in our back of our minds some fundamental illusion about life being fair or something like that or you know or that everything will turn out right in the end or something like you know it's only when we've lost every single illusion that we can really find true courage losing a dream opened me up to new ones after i lost lilia i did have a lot of actual dreams about her there was a dream that i had where she was in this potted plant and she was curled up this like really 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 little version of my daughter and i watered her and the plant and she grew tall and she shook her red hair all around and she said i'm okay it feels so amazing to be pregnant again because part of what is powerful about growing a baby to full term and losing that baby is that when i got pregnant again lilia created the room for this new baby there was space to grow because of her they're sharing the same home one dream ended but so many dreams began Lost Dreams was produced by Rachel Matlow and Veronica Simmons. Special thanks to Perdita Felician, Sarah Brooke Curtis, and Dylan Evans for sharing their stories. Score by Todd Dahlhoff, and the theme was played by Tony Shear. Pleasure Studies is executive produced by Robbie Lackritz and myself, Leslie Feist. Additional contributions from Andrew Whiteman and Elizabeth Barker, and is presented by Erios and Talkhouse. <laughs>